Luke, I haven't met a lot of you. Um, I'm one of the pastors at Legacy Church, and it's good to have you here today. Um, If you have a Bible or an app that you use, go ahead and turn to Galatians 3. That's where we're going to jump in. Um, If you're new, you're a guest with us, we've been working through the book of Galatians from the very first verse all the way through the book, um, and it is doing its own work. It's lifting its own weight. Um, I hope it's been helpful for you as much as it has been for me. Um, as a pastor still, as I study and I get really, really, really deep in this chapter, it's showing me with incredible clarity the difference between law and grace, between performance and um, God's gift of grace to us, His mercy. It's been very good for me, and I hope it's been good for you. Um, Today is no difference. Uh, As you turn there and as you're getting situated, there is, I did a little bit of studying before this on this phenomenon that happens with incarcerated um, criminals, prisoners, right? And interestingly enough, college students go through this too, you know, to a certain degree. But there's several syndromes that are said to attack this phenomenon or describe it, I guess would be a better way of saying it. This phenomenon is where someone lives so long and they've done so much time that the routine of it all, the bars, the the walls kind of coming in on them, it becomes their new normal, It becomes their comfort zone. It becomes what they're used to. Um, And they can't really conceive of life outside of the bars. They can't envision a different version of themselves experiencing freedom. It's kind of interesting, really, when you think about it. College students go through the same thing. Graduation comes. Their friends are partying. Woo! You know, no more scantrons. Do they do scantrons anymore? All right. I'm not that old. Scantrons, 8 o'clock classes, midterms. None of that, but you always have some of those students where, this, where, where, where when someone congratulates you on graduating with a degree, it's not such good news because they've had a hard time aspiring or having hope for what life looks like outside just the walls of academia. Same thing with prisoners. You're free and the, and the bar's sliding open. Sometimes it's not been good news to many prisoners. They've not adjusted well because they can't conceive of life with freedom. They can't envision a different version of themselves find it interesting. I wonder if we, uh, trace with me, see if I'm not right in this, I wonder if we, many times, whenever we hear phrases like, you're free not to sin. Hey, you don't, you don't have to do that anymore. I wonder if some of that's lost on us. Because even with Jesus, and even though we love Jesus, we cannot see ourselves out of the rut We cannot see ourselves outside of what's become normal to us, which is a pattern or a behavioral sin or some long-suffering failure that has kind of chased us and mocked us over the years. I mean, don't raise your hands, please. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you are struggling with something that we could call pattern, Uh, maybe behavioral, long-suffering? Just think of a rut. You've struggled with that in you struggled also with the idea that you could ever get beyond it. And it's kind of become a new normal to you. And while God advertises hope, and while he shows us life, there's a little bit of a critic inside, isn't there? Thinking that, well, that's not really true for me. And I I can't really experience anything different than what I have now, which is the same habit that keeps coming up. Every morning I wake up, I have to deal with it. And you could almost put on a calendar because it's very predictable when it's going to happen, whatever it might be for you. I think sometimes we even have resolved ourselves to think that that will always be the way it's going to be for the rest of our lives. And we might agree, we'll grow a little bit here. I might grow a little bit in this direction. I might 
kind of get some sanctification over here. But when it comes to that one thing, I just can't see life on the other side of it. I can't envision a life beyond drunkenness. I can't envision a life, I can't envision a a version of myself beyond pornography. I can't envision a version of myself that is beyond abusing food or abusing over-the-counter meds. Or, I mean, you could literally fill in the blank, can't you? I mean, if I said many of us in the room struggle with that, that wouldn't be a stretch. But I think if I were to say most of us in this room struggle with some sort of a long-suffering failure, I would also say I don't think that's much of a stretch. I think a lot of us struggle with something like that. And the punchline for us, getting right to it, I mean the punchline for us is when Jesus Christ, when he was murdered, when he died, is a cursed man hanging on a tree, which is what Paul talks about later on in Galatians. And when we get there, we'll unpack that a little bit. But as he died as a cursed man hanging on a tree, became a corpse, a real corpse, right? He wasn't faking it. Stuffed in a tomb, God raised him up from the dead by the power of his Holy Spirit. He teaches for a while, ascends to the right hand of God until he waits to come back. All of that. Now, when Jesus Christ did that, he did not die just to free us from death. He died to free us from sin. It's important that we see that. What that means is is that when you fail, I mean, when you fail repeatedly, When you fail predictably, whenever you fail constantly, God has grace for you. God saw it. He saw it a long time ago. But not only does he have grace for the sins that you have done, are doing, and will do, not only does he have grace for that, he actually has provision and an empowering ability for you to get beyond the sludge, beyond the grime and the scandal. He has that as well. It's hard for us to see, though. I mean, we... We know this, and we hear that God gives us provision to get beyond our sins, but we tell ourselves it's just not working, though. It just doesn't seem to be working. And so the cell becomes a little bit of a home to us. In fact, some of you are actually even nauseated at me mentioning something like, you can get beyond those sins, or you don't have to do that, or you don't need that sin in your life. Sometimes you've heard that so many times, right? You've heard it. You don't have to do that. You, you're able to put down sin. But you've never been able to do it. So it becomes your new comfort zone. You start working out a little bit of a package deal, almost like a partnership, because you've already factored in your mind that if you can't beat it, then at least you can kind of make a deal with it, right? manage it a little bit so we become managers of sin that we're unable to put down especially the habitual kind and hopefully by god's grace it won't embarrass us one day right it won't expose us i mean today as we look into what paul is talking about as he talks to the galatian church just to remind you this is the only thing he ever wrote that's not to an individual or an individual church this is written to a package of churches that are in what we would call turkey today As he is talking to them and explaining something to them, we catch a glimpse, just a glimpse, of a gift that God has given us that will bring us past our failures. I think it's important for us to talk about today. I mean, I really do as I look at this passage. Just to catch you up, if you're not familiar with the book of Galatians, real quickly, Paul planted these churches. They started really well. He left to go plant more. False teachers came in. They impregnated the church with versions of a false gospel. And whenever that happened, they drifted away from where they originally started. Anyone ever seen anyone do that before? Start off so well just to finish poorly? It's kind of what's happening right now. I mean, even if you don't love Jesus and you're in the house today, haven't you ever met someone where you're thinking, what happened to you, man? 
what happened? I mean, last time I met you, you were like, and now you're a mess. What happened? Well, Paul is witnessing that with a church that he's planted. This passage is emotionally charged. Make no mistake. There's a lot of emotion that is squeezed into this little package. So let's just look. Let's just jump right on in. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible and you don't have an app and you cannot follow along, um, we have free Bibles on the table. I I would really love for you to grab one on the way out, but it will be on the screen as well. Starts off with this, O foolish Galatians, or as J.B. Phillips says in his translation, O dear idiots, (laughs) O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, who's duped you, who's cast a spell on you, who's put a hood on you and led you around? That's what's being nuanced in the language. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I mean, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I mean, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we will get to Abraham in the coming weeks and what he means by that. But if you read this carefully, if you read this passage and really stretch it and draw it out, and this is just for free, but whenever you read the Bible on your own, look for patterns, right? Look for repetition. I mean, not like Bible code stuff. That's kind of goofy. But I'm just talking about if you see like a word repeated or a phrase repeated, or you can kind of catch a mood in there, that informs the text. It should help you understand what's going on. This is a good example. I don't know if you caught it. We just read eight sentences. Six of them had question marks. One of them had an exclamation point. Right? This is Paul texting in caps. Like I said, he is charged with this. He's emotionally contending with this church, these churches in Galatia. This is a strategy that a lot of debate use, or a lot of people are skilled in debate. They use this called rhetorical or is a rhetorical, redundant questions, and it's used to appeal to a past experience, right? That's why all the questions in a row, we use it today, right? Didn't, didn't I tell you to take out the trash? Question mark. I mean, didn't we just discuss this the other day? Question mark. And didn't I tell you what would happen if you did not take out the trash? Question mark, right? Well, what do you think we should do about this then? Question mark. It's appealing back to a former experience to prove an argument. And that's what he's doing right here. And if you were to take all of these questions, all six question marks, and put them in a a pot and you boil it up and you distill it down to its essence, you basically come up with the very basic question of where were you when God found you with the gift of his Holy Spirit? Where were you? I mean, did God catch you behaving or did he catch you misbehaving? Did God find you behaving well and obeying well, or did God find you misbehaving and not obeying at all? And what's different now? I think these are good questions for us. If you think about it, ask yourself that. Where did God find you? Some of you who've been found radically by God, how did you look? Were you far from behaving? I was. I was caught misbehaving. Are are you the same? I was a Baptist dropout, a fraternity knockoff, 
You know, the only thing smart about me was my mouth, but I thought I was smarter than everybody else, thought I was God's gift to the ladies. I was a pervert. I was a jerk. I was a hater. I was a scandal. I was a thief. And for all of this, for all of this, God saved me. (laughs) He saved me. I mean, when God found me, I was so busy applying as much God repellent as I possibly could when he grabbed me by the back of the neck and rescued me from myself. I mean, can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? Some of you are like, no, not really. But if you're a Christian today, where did God find you? I mean, were you deserving? Did you deserve the gifts that God brought in salvation, redemption, and the Holy Ghost? Did you deserve that? Don't lean on your church upbringing, by the way. The sinner that God finds in the church house is no less of a rebel than the person outside of the church. Okay? Let me put some skin to that. When God finds a sinner in a Sunday school class singing a goofy song about Noah and the Ark with Crayolas in front of them, when God finds a sinner like that, that person is no less of a rebel than the drug-dealing pedophile in some alley at the very same time. Does that shock you? Does that shock you? Because nice or naughty, part of our mechanics is to construct and build our own self-righteousness before God, where we can discard His. Part of, and we don't do that. We get caught busy making a God of ourselves. Both of those acts are seen as an act of war in God's eyes. That's why grace is so important. Grace is the idea of God visiting us Blessing us, bringing favor to us, totally despite our best attempts to earn it ourselves, church person, and totally despite our best attempts to discard it altogether. So his answer to your grime and your scandal, his answer to your dirt, his answer to your past and those dirty sins, the ones you have a habit of that you won't even tell anybody, you won't even tell your spouse, they're locked up, those things those things. You know what his answer is when he finds you with this Holy Ghost, when he redeems you? His answer is to clothe all of that with the image of his most treasured possession in his own son. That's his answer. Now, in this process, when God finds us, we get the Holy Spirit as a gift. The Holy Ghost. God's Spirit. And with that, I'd like to talk about just for a few minutes. I mean, if you just indulge me, Typically, I preach. I'd like to teach just for a couple minutes on this, if it's okay. Because Paul mentions it a few times here. The Holy Spirit mentions the Holy Spirit a few times. And that's something today that is highly misunderstood and very much abused. Okay? We treat the Holy Spirit as an it. But the Holy Spirit is a he. It's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I'm not talking about like a person with fingers and a nose, you know, and feet and toes. I'm talking about a person with intentions and motives and thoughts and desires. He's not half God. He's not diet God. He's full God. The Holy Spirit is not some, you know, vibe or a life force, Oprah. The Holy Spirit is not like some ghost on ghost hunters hiding behind a door and they're all yelling things at the door trying to get excited. It's nothing like that. It's not some ethereal just force roaming around. He's a person. He's a person. He is fully God. Fully God. We've done something with the Trinity, especially in America. 
Well, we've taken the Trinity. When I say Trinity, some of you might be unfamiliar with that. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All co-equally existing and equal in their value, their worth, their authority, their glory. They, def- they have deference and role, but they're equal in everything because they are one God, right? What we've done with that teaching of the Trinity is we've kind of devolved it to where you have God the boss, Jesus the good employee who always smiles and clocks in on time, and then the weird Holy Spirit, you know, the distant cousin that he just does embarrassing stuff so we never talk about him, but we have to mention him every now and then so we don't feel totally guilty, right? That's what we've done with the Trinity, but ready yourself, the Holy Spirit is just as responsible for your salvation as God the Father and God the Son. And without Him, you're going straight to hell. That's how important that is. I'm about to explain that teaching, but make no mistake, without the ever-pursuing, delighting heart that chases you down inside the Holy Spirit, there is no chance for us. No chance for us. We usually sideline the Holy Spirit when it comes to salvation. But if you were to just take this passage, Galatians, like a camera lens and crank it and zoom back to where you're almost in a plane at 30,000 feet, and now we're looking at the grand storyline of what God has done among mankind. If we look at that, I mean, just the second verse in your Bible, Galatians chapter 1, verse 2, right? I mean, if you you could flip there fast, go ahead and flip to it. It's a very important passage. Galatians 1, verse 2 says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's kind of a weird, kind of a weird phrase. The Hebrew language is really helpful here, right? Not to say y'all need to go out and learn Hebrew, but to get your hands on something that can kind of give you a, a peek underneath the language is helpful in a case like this, because that word hover, it nuances a fluttering bird or a hovering bird, Okay? Now, let me make a clarification. The Holy Spirit is not a bird, right? It doesn't look like a bird. It doesn't kind of just fly like a bird. This is just the best language the Hebrew culture can come up with. I went to Google Images, and I typed in Holy Spirit. You guessed it. The first 30, the first 30 pictures that came up were all white doves, <laughs> only to break its cadence with fire, you know? And I'm sure if I kept looking, I'd find a waterfall or some clouds or something like that. But... I like how it shows how he hovers, right? He's there. He's intricately involved. Also what the Hebrew language does with water and darkness, which is also in this passage, that symbolizes chaos, confusion, something yet to be subdued. So what does that tell us right now? It tells us that the Spirit of God was present and intricately involved when God created and subdued the deep subdued creation, the formless, chaotic, confused creation. He was there. Now you fast forward. Fast forward right around to the middle, middle-ish part of God's story with mankind. And you have something different. You have Jesus coming out of the water. You know, he's being baptized. John the Baptist is looking kind of freaked out. Everyone around is wondering what's going on. Again, what comes down like a dove? Same word in your Bible. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Again, wasn't a dove that came and sat on his shoulder. Just get that out of your mind. It was not a bird. This is just the best the Hebrews could do. But there he is. Now he's not showing the world that he is subduing creation. Now he's showing the world that he is renewing creation. You see how this works? Why is that important? Because when it comes to your formless life, your void, your chaos, 
your uninhabitable, confused self. The Holy Spirit comes, hovers, I guess you could say, but he's intricately present whenever your heart is subdued and renewed so that you could even understand what grace is. That's why the Holy Spirit is so, so very important for us. This is what the Bible calls regeneration. Regeneration, the basic idea, and it's a word we use here, but it has a meaning. It's good for you to know it. You'll hear people say it from time to time, and if they know what they're talking about, what they're saying is is that regeneration means going from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's animation. It's spiritual animation, right? What was once dead is now alive. Basically, our hearts. Our hearts being traded from something that is dull and black and stone and unresponsive Having a heart transplant where God puts a heart in us that can respond to our sin, respond to his grace. Look at Romans 8.11 if you're fast in your Bible. It'll be up on the screen if you're not so fast. I'm not fast. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now that spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's God's spirit. If the spirit of him, you could just put God there. If the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the idea behind this, just in case you missed it, the idea behind this is if you are far from Christ, or when you were far from Christ, you were walking around, you weren't even able to understand the sin in your life. You knew that you were a sinner, but you never knew what that really meant. You you understood the concept of grace up here, but it never amazed you. What happens is the Holy Spirit trades your heart, and it's at that moment that you see the depth of your depravity and the depth of His grace. That happens in what the Bible calls regeneration. Shai Lin, who's a rapper today, he has a song called Regeneration. And it's, these are part of the lyrics. It's very helpful. He says, if it wasn't for the Spirit's mysterious operation, we would all be under serious condemnation. I'd still be rejecting his son if God hadn't said, let there be light, like Genesis 1. And just like light could not refuse to shine, irresistible grace renewed my mind. I didn't rap that. I'm sorry for ripping you off. I have mad skills to lay down, but I didn't want to spit any rhymes. I just wanted to preach. (laughs) Some of you have heard this um, illustration used, right? It might have sounded something like this. You are a sick person laying on a bed, and you're dying. There's only one remedy for you, and that remedy is the gospel. So you cast a glance over on your bedside table, and there's a big bottle of Jesus, a big gospel remedy right there. And so you do the best you can to reach your arm over there. Oh, but it hurts so much because you're so sick. But that's the only remedy that's going to fix you. And, and you just kind of, you reach, but you're not getting it. But Jesus is there. And he sits on your bed right next to you and strokes your hair, I guess, and hands you the bottle and pops it open and puts it in your mouth. And boom, you're a Christian. Thanks for Jesus being there, right? That's a bad illustration. Let's rewind it. If you're there, you're not sick on a bed, you're a dead corpse. No brain activity. You don't even know that you're there. You don't even know that you're sick because you're dead. Jesus is not handing you a medication. He's bringing you to life. He's doing CPR of sorts. He's bringing you back. Acts 16. I think it's in 16. It's it's a passage that we're not going to do a lot of exegesis on. But in this passage, you've got uh, Paul. Paul is preaching the gospel, and Lydia happens to be there listening, right? 
She probably heard something like that preached before. But in this passage, it says that God opened her heart to take heed of the things that Paul was saying. What does that describe? It is describing regeneration. Her heart is hearing it. It's becoming relevant for the first time. Isn't that how it happened for many of you? I mean, I heard the gospel for years, over 10 years. I'd heard the gospel, 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 gospel. Jesus died for your sins. I get it, I get it. And then one day I got it. One day it just, the best I can describe is it became relevant to my soul and it clicked. Luke, you have sin. Your sin has separated you from God. I know, I know, I know I have sin. And then one day it was, oh my gosh, I'm a wretched person. Look what I've done. Grace, grace, there's grace here. I'm always hearing the word grace all the time. Kids name grace, grace on coffee mugs, grace on bumper stickers with a dove on it. Grace here, grace there. And then all of a sudden it was, oh my gosh, I'm so undeserving. Look what I've done. Look what you have done. That is regeneration. That is when it works. That's what it looks like. Some of you today, my prayer is that you will be quickened, and that you will be animated. That your hearts will be traded out from stone, from calloused, unresponsive nature, to be able to respond to your own sin and respond to God's grace. There's a passage where we get this teaching, and it's in Titus 3. So look in Titus 3. That's a really important passage for just a teaching on regeneration. Partly because the word's in there. That's always helpful, right? But Titus 3, verse 4, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What you see right there is something really cool. It's a Trinitarian investment in our salvation. We are saved because of the kindness of God through the work of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a mutual investment into us. Now listen, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and when He comes to us as a free gift, there's a lot of errors. There's many errors being taught today, right? Where millions and millions of people, just they're not understanding the Bible the way it's supposed to be understood. I only want to look at a couple of those errors I don't have time for all of them, and I don't even really have time for these two. I'm just going to thumbnail sketch them, right? So if you have questions, because it might provoke some of you, if you have questions, the number's on the screen. You just text it, okay? I'll do the best I can. But I'm just mentioning these to build, a, build an important point for you. And by the way, I've taught both of these errors, okay? So I'm not bashing on the people that are there. I'm just saying it's an error, all right? One error is that we get the Holy Spirit only after we obey or perform in the act of baptism. Millions of people are here. Millions of good people are here. We only get the Holy Spirit fully whenever we come out of the water. Whenever we are baptized, that's when God saves us. That's when God gives us the gift of His Holy Spirit. Right? So, in this case, the Holy Ghost and God's salvation, it doesn't find us misbehaving, does it? It finds us behaving. It doesn't find us not checking things off on our to-do box for righteousness. It finds us being very busy at that. It doesn't find us far from the law. It finds us obeying the law. That's the problem with this. Now, we looked at this in a little bit of detail a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure we'll hit it again, but just to shotgun it now for you. 
We refute this because we believe that God, dis- he, he saves us and gifts us despite our best obedience, not because of it. God brings his free gifts to us despite our ability to follow all the rules and laws, not because we followed all the rules and laws, right? Because then God wouldn't get the glory. We would. Listen, if God gifts us with his Holy Spirit only when we do something, it's no longer a gift. We earned it. We clocked in. It's a paycheck. I'm deserving. Bring it on. That's the, that's the foundational problem. There's a ton of scriptures to back that up. Cornelius and his family. You have Ephesians 2. You have the thief on the cross. That's just, in just the first three off the top of my head. And listen, that's a, that's a sermon in and of itself. But I want you to see in that you were doing something to get something. You were obeying and performing in order to get a free, a free gift. There's also another error. Another error that we see by millions of people walking around right now today. They believe that we get the full Holy Spirit only after we are baptized in the Holy Spirit after salvation as a second experience. Okay? Now this is... Uh, a, a largely a thought and a teaching that is in the charismatic church, not all charismatics, and I'm not here to bash charismatics, I am one, right? And I'm not saying that as one coming out of the closet. We've always been a charismatic church. I love the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm big on the Holy Spirit, but this is a failed teaching, right? In failed charismatic teaching, in bad charismatic teaching, it goes a little something like this. When you become a Christian, you get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Just a little bit. A down payment, right? An earnest payment. One to be fulfilled and completed on down the road, right? And then as you mature, you get to a place where you ask with a great dependence, where you've repented for everything, right? And you've cleaned up your life, and you've canceled all of your soul ties from your past history. And you've confessed openly everything that you've ever done. And you've rebuked every stronghold you could think of. And you get people around you that can lay their hands on you, right? Hopefully people that have already received the full gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you just, uh, and you try really hard. And if it takes, if it takes, you start speaking in tongues. That's not a great teaching. And it doesn't represent all charismatics either. Okay? I don't have time really today to talk on tongues or prophecy, even though I love teaching on that. I love teaching on the Holy Spirit. But it's probably about time. We're probably due for that, aren't we? We we're like a fourth this size the last time we taught that, and we were back in the gym. And it's confusing to Christians. We have Christians in this room that have come from all different directions. I tell you what, what you should do is go ahead and text them in. If you have a question, let's just do this. If you have a question on the Holy Spirit, you have a question on spiritual gifts, you have a question on being baptized in fire, whatever that might mean, if you have questions on any of this, just text it in. Text it into the number on the screen. We've got cards laying around. Write it down on a card. Put it in a bucket on your way out, and we'll teach on it a couple weeks. It'd be good to get a pulse on where you guys are at. We'll let those questions inform what we teach. I think it'd be helpful. I'd love to do it today, but it'd just go on for hours, and y'all would never come back. The thinking behind this, and I know this, like I said, because I taught it for over a decade. The, the idea behind this is, Luke, there was a day of Pentecost, and a great big thing happened, and the Holy Spirit came, there was fire, there was wind, there was tongues, people got radically saved, the church grew from 120 all the way up to 3,000, Peter could preach all of a sudden, who knew? Great things are happening, these miraculous things are just swirling, but Luke, they were already Christians, 
they were already Christians. So how do you explain that? See, we're already Christians too. And we get a little bit of the Holy Spirit, just like they did. But we all have our own little individual Pentecost. And you just got to want it real bad. And if it doesn't take, you just got to maybe fix something. Look under the hood and fix whatever you didn't fix. And then try again later on. And then try again later on. And then try again later on until it works, until you speak in tongues. Listen, can I just say this without getting too, because if I chase that rabbit, it'll go forever. We do not get a partial person. (laughs) Whenever we become Christians, we get the full Holy Spirit. We don't get a partial person. Doesn't even make sense. We get a full person. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. This is a very important passage for this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So catch the first part of that. I mean, it's very informative. Just the first little phrase. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. When do we become fused together in one body? When does that happen? Someone just yell it out there. When does that happen? When does God adopt us into the same body where you become my brothers and my sisters in Christ? Salvation. Salvation is when we are made to be one body. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. We are all made to drink of one spirit. We're all baptized in the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. All of Him. Fully. I don't really have time to go any further on that, but I will say in both of these errors, it's obvious that in order to get the Holy Spirit completely, you must do something. You must do something. You have to be found behaving. Right? I'd like to contend that it's the Holy Spirit that provokes godly behavior in us, not behavior that provokes the Holy Spirit to come. Can I just say that again? It's the Holy Spirit that provokes behavior in us, not behavior that provokes the Holy Spirit. These errors have flopped it. This is why Paul is doing what he's doing right here. This is why Paul is spending all this time saying, where did God find you guys? Where did he find you? Did he find you scrubbed clean? Did I miss something? Did he find you guys already baptized? I mean, when the Holy Spirit came, were you guys following all the law? I must have missed that. I thought you were all misbehaving. I thought he found you sinners. Then why would you return to works and performance to secure grace and favor from God if that's not how he found you? Now listen, I've spent a lot of time on that. I'm going to have to move fast here, but not only does God give us this free gift of the Holy Spirit to regenerate our hearts, he also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us past the sludge and the slime and the predictable, long-suffering failures that we do day after day after day after day after day. The Holy Spirit gets us through that and cleans us, sanctifies us. This is a great passage for this. In Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 is the Old Testament descriptor. That's the passage we use to see regeneration from the mouth of a prophet in the Old Testament. Right? Hundreds of years before Jesus even came. And he says this, And I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Man, there it is. 
But look at that. It doesn't say that if you're careful to obey rules and follow statutes, then he will put the Spirit within you. He says him putting the Spirit in you is what happens. That's, that's, how, that's how that all works. That's how you get empowered to do those things. John says the same thing a little bit differently in 1 John 5. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. Who overcomes the world? Those who believe Jesus is the Christ. How do they do that? Because we have a new spirit put within us. And why does that matter? Because it's traded out our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And it's empowered us and given us a desire for the commandments and a desire for God's attributes, a desire to follow hard after God and actually a power to overcome the things that stand in the way. That's what's going on here. So why does all this matter? I'm going to try to draw some lines straight to you the best I can, okay? Why does all this matter for you today? Listen, you do not come out of your pattern sins. You do not come out of your bad behavior so that you get the Holy Spirit as a gift. That's the first thing I hope you see. The Holy Spirit is given to you as a gift so that you can come out of your pattern behaviors, so that you can come out of your pattern failures. The same Spirit, think about this, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is rattling around in you. The same Spirit. Catch this. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. God did through his Holy Spirit. That same Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, rattling around in you and allowing you to overcome the grime and the pattern history that you just cannot see around. That thing that you cannot envision being any different for the rest of your life. So what does all that mean? It means that you do put down your sin. And it means that you do obey God. It means that you do walk in the light of his statutes in order that you better glorify him. And it also means that you trust that the Holy Spirit is helping you where you are powerless to help yourself. That the Holy Spirit is busy serving, guiding, enlightening, moving you past the things you've never been able to move past. Some of you might be saying, but Luke, I'm a mess. I'm defeated. I, can't, I hear you, but I can't get my arms around it. I'm a total mess. I'm a dead man. That's exactly right. And that's how God found you. That's how God found you. So just think about it for a minute. If God raised you from spiritual death to spiritual life, if God did that, what is pornography? <laughs> I mean, what is alcohol abuse? You were dead. Right? What is an identity crisis? You were dead makes a big difference, doesn't it? We have a couple temptations. One of them is that we doubt that we will ever change because this sin is so big. And we've had it since we were 11. And our daddy's partly to blame, and that's partly to blame, and it's always there, and I can't let go of it. And every time I let go of it, I just pick it right back up, and I can't get by it. What I would say is that you need to foster a different view of God. The Holy Spirit is a little bit stronger than that right another thing we fail in is that we try to earn the holy spirit's gifts and we try to earn his activity by scrubbing our life just enough hopefully he shows up and makes us feel better about ourselves this is what martin luther says about this he says the heart of man finds it difficult to believe that such a great treasure like the holy ghost is received just by hearing with faith 
The hearer likes to reason like this. Forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death, the gift of the Holy Ghost, all these things, the priceless benefits. And if you want to engage and get them, then you have to have correspondingly great efforts. You have to have great efforts. And then he says, and the devil says, amen. Says it all right there. Listen, a Christian with the power of the Holy Spirit beating inside of them is a slave to no sin. A slave to no sin. There is no cell that you're sitting in where the door opens and you just got to sit there. You're just rotting. There's nothing that you have to have for the rest of your life. Nothing. And I think this is where many of you, this is where me, this is myself, this is where many of us fail to see the power of God. We have no problem seeing the power of God in creation. God speaks and it just happens. We get that, I guess. We get the fact that the Red Sea was just split. We get these huge, magnificent, powerful things that we see God doing. But when it comes to our small addiction, we're like, I'm out. I'm out, sorry. I know we split the Red Sea, but we're talking about drunkenness here. You know what I'm saying? I know God just created the universe, but we're talking about anger. It's not so easy, brother. Our God is big. He's very big. My goal today for you is just to encourage you to behold God differently. See him differently. See him bigger. See him stronger. See him leading you from the cell See him growing you. See him taking what you could never do and just doing it for you. I just say pray to God with a deep earnest that he gives you the faculties by the power of the Holy Spirit and nurtures an affection in you to actually call out and ask the Holy Spirit's help. I don't think many of you do that. I think some of you might just kind of be scared just enough of the Holy Spirit that you don't even know how to interact. But ask God for his Holy Spirit to help you through whatever that thing is. Whatever that fill-in-the-blank moment is for you. You might have two or three of them. But if you petition God and you ask God to give you the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, to give you that ability to walk past that thing, well, that's a lot better than doing it on your own, isn't it? I mean, good luck with that. I think some of you in here today are a little bit like Lazarus in his tomb. Dead, unresponsive, stinking, chaotic, confused, dark, inanimate, uninhabitable. And like me, you've probably tried to polish yourself and bring yourself to a place where you have met God's approval rating. But listen, the only one who's ever made God's approval rating is Jesus, and you're not there, friend. That means that instead of getting approval from God, you get judgment. That's what that means, because you're laying there dead. Lazarus simply couldn't raise himself. He was raised. There was a power outside of him that raised him from the dead. And you can't raise yourself either. Friend, God does that for you. He raises you. Like I said earlier, my petition, my desire, my desire is that your heart would be quickened. Is that you would be animated from spiritual death to spiritual life. That you would finally respond to the depth of your sin and your garbage and your grime and your past, you'd be astounded by your sin and then you'd be equally, if not more, astounded by God's grace. The fact that something like God's favor is coming to you totally despite you, even though you deserve the exact opposite. 
anything other than this, friends, is you depending on yourself for your own animation, for your own coming to life. And that's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen for you. So that's my petition for you, is that you respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in you as he quickens you.